are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. If you've got your Bible tonight, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number four, Ephesians chapter number four. And although I normally ask you to stand for the reading of the scriptures, I understand that it's a little cool and you're kind of comfortable wrapped in your blanket and all snuggled down. And I'd hate to disturb you as you're getting ready to take a nap. And so I'll allow you to remain seated tonight. Uh, but uh, the only reason we do that is to honor the Word of God. And I think we all want to honor the Word of God. And I think God understands and God knows. And so tonight, let's take up our reading in Ephesians chapter number 4. We're going to begin reading in verse number 11. I ask you to follow along as I read aloud. The Bible says, and he, talking about the Lord, he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, uh, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love." Our Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you so much for the wonderful privilege that is ours to be able to gather in your presence. Thank you for these, your people, who have turned aside from the busyness of life. I'm most certain that tonight everyone had something else they could have chosen to do. That Some could have gone home and had supper. Some could have got an early night's rest. Some uh, could have had other activities that they could have engaged in. But all of them have chosen deliberately tonight to come to the house of God. And I pray that you would help our time not to be spent in vain. I pray that you might get honor and glory unto yourself. And I pray that your people would be encouraged and challenged in the things of God. And we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. For we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Tonight we continue in our series on Christ. We have previously considered Christ and his cradle. Then we closed out the old year and began the new year by looking at Christ and his coming. And then the last couple of weeks before our revival, we focused on Christ and his character. The fact that he is human and yet he is divine. And tonight we take up a new subject and we're going to consider for the next several weeks Christ and his church. Could I just remind you that even in the day of carnality and compromise, in the hour of contention and confusion, surrounded by those who are clamoring for change and amidst the scourge of COVID, church is still a big deal to God. 
God's plan for every believer is to conform them to the image of Christ, according to Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. And we read of Christ that he loved the church and gave himself for it. Thus, if we would be like Christ, we must love the church and give ourselves to it. I think we ought to attach ourselves to it in membership. I think we ought to faithfully attend its meetings and activities. I think we ought to advertise it to others. I think we ought to appropriate our tithes and offerings to it. I most certainly think we should agonize in prayer over it. And we should certainly anticipate God to do a work in it. You say tonight, but the church has problems. Yes, it does. Because the church is made up of people. And people have problems. That's just a part of being in the church is understanding that there are problems and there are difficulties. None of us have achieved the mark of perfection as of yet. I think about that Old Testament tabernacle. If you looked at it from the outside, it was a beautiful thing. The court was surrounded by white linen curtains. The boards and the bars were fitted together with fastenings of silver and brass. Uh, the elaborate coverings, the tapestries of blue and scarlet and purple, the furnishings of brass and of gold and all of the incredible beauty. And if you looked at it, you would be astounded. But with all of that ornate beauty and with all of that detail that God gave to Moses, you must realize that the floor was made of dirt. Just dirt, nothing more. Despite all the wonderful things there, if you came to the house of God looking for dirt, it wasn't hard to find. It was everywhere. And can I say, if you looked at the dirt, you'd discover it. But you can't see the glory when you focus on the grime. And if you come looking for dirt at the church, you will find it. But you'll miss everything else that God has for you. And if we're not careful, we miss what God has prepared for us because we've simply focused upon the wrong thing. Now tonight I want to begin by directing your attention to some analogies to the church. The dictionary defines the word analogy as a similarity between features of two things on which a comparison may be based. And as we look into the scriptures, we find that there are a number of analogies given for the church. For the sake of time this evening, I'm just going to restrict our consideration to the analogies that we find here in the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul, that great servant of the Lord, takes his pen in hand under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he writes to the believers in Ephesians. And as Paul begins to write to them, in chapter after chapter, he draws an analogy. He draws a picture, a comparison between the church and something else. And he does this for the reason of helping them to understand what they have in the church. Oh, could I say one of the greatest dangers that faces North Valley Baptist Church is that the people of North Valley Baptist Church don't understand what they enjoy. They don't understand what they possess. You would not believe it every week of my life. I talk to people across the country. I have college students who come and sit in my office and they'll say something like this. I love coming to college or I love this place, 
But more important than the classroom is the fact that I get to attend North Valley Baptist Church. It's worth every penny of investment. It's worth my time. It's worth everything because I wish I had something like this where I was at. Can I say, if you're not careful, you will miss what you have. You will become so focused on the floor that you'll miss the glory that God has for us. And I want us tonight to look with the people in Ephesus and see some of these analogies that the Apostle Paul draws. Paul gives us our first analogy in our text tonight. And that is that the church is a body. He says that in verse number 12, that these gifts are given for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He says in verse number 15 that we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And so three times in these verses, Paul emphasizes the fact that the church is a body. In fact, if we were to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, again, Paul makes that same analogy. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 12, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. In verse number 18, he says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. He says in verse 27, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. This body that is the church is a body that is crafted by God. God is the organizer. God is the designer. Can I say many times people talk about trying to build the church. We're not in the business of building the church. We're in the business of honoring God and obeying God and glorifying God. And God will build his church as he sees fit. He said it very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Can I say as a member of North Valley Baptist Church, you're here tonight because it pleased God to put you here. And you ought to rejoice, you ought to thank God for the blessing of being put in the body of Christ. This church called the local assembly. God has built it as it has pleased him. This body is not only created by, or crafted by God, but this body called the church is cared for by God. Ephesians chapter five and verse number 29. Paul says, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Can I tell you tonight, God is watching over us. God is caring for us. Just exactly like we care for our bodies when you have a member of your body that is injured or that is hurt or that has been weakened somehow, you protect that, you guard that, you watch out for that. 
And can I tell you, that's exactly what Christ does for his body. As we suffer and we stumble and fall and perhaps injure ourselves, spiritually speaking, God is tenderly watching over us. God is caring for us. And sometimes in riveting the situation, we understand that we have to experience greater pain in order to find the cure. I remember there was a time in my life when I had an accident and severely injured one of my knees. And guess what I had to have? I had to have a surgery on that knee. Now, was I looking for more pain? No, I was not looking for pain. But here's what I had to understand, that according to the doctor, unless I had the surgery, the pain I had was continuing to get worse, and ultimately I would not be able to walk. Therefore, in order to facilitate my health, I had to undergo surgery and experience greater pain so that it would bring about the cure and the remedy for my problem. Could I just say sometimes as members of the body of Christ, we're hurting and we think, Lord, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing something else to come into my life? But what we might not understand is that the great physician has looked at the body. He has made a diagnosis and he says in order to effect the cure, I'm going to have to cause you to suffer some greater pain. But if you'll just trust me, if you'll just follow me, if you'll just lean on me, I'll bring you through because I'm caring for the body and I want you to be as strong as you can be for the glory of God. This is a body that is crafted by God. It is a body that is cared for by God. And it is a body that is being conformed by God. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29 I mentioned earlier. The Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. By the way, just for those of you that might be in doubt, predestination is a Bible term. Predestination is a Bible truth, but it has nothing whatsoever to do with you getting saved. It has to do with what happens after you get saved. Once you have been born again, God has predestined certain things to happen. And one of those things is that one day you will be ultimately just like Jesus. Can I say that ought to make you jump up and down, click your heels, shout, lift your hands to heaven, that one day you will no longer sin, no longer you will you mess up, no longer will you be wrapped in this frail old nature, but one day you'll be just like Christ. God is conforming us day by day, moment by moment, making us more like the image of his dear son. Here then is our distinction. While other entities are organizations, the church is an organism. We are a living, breathing, existing body. We are the body and Christ is the head. In fact, the theme verse for our church, Colossians chapter one and verse number 18 says this, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Can I say to you tonight, we are a body and Christ is the head, and as such we are a body that will never die. The only way to take care of a body and put it to death is first of all to take off the head. And I've got news for you. The head said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And because he lives, we too shall live. And we are a body that will never die. It does not matter what the devil may throw at us. It does not matter what difficulty we may encounter. No matter what obstacles are put before us, 
We're, we have eternal life and we shall live forever. We're a body that will never die. Well, praise God, the church is a body. But by the way, Paul tells us again in Ephesians, as if that were not enough. I'm pretty excited about being a part of the body, aren't you? But if that were not enough, he tells us that the church is a building. Ephesians chapter number two and verse number 19. Now therefore you're no more strangers. He's writing to these people at Ephesus, these Gentiles. He's told them how bad it was. Remember how bad it was in the past. You were alienated. You were on the outside. You, had, uh, you were without uh, God and having no hope. But he says things are different now. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for the but nows of the scriptures? Go so through sometime, read all the Apostle Paul's writings and every time you come to that little phrase, but now, he'll paint a dark, dark picture and things look bleak without hope or without help. And then he says, but now. And every time he says, but now, he's getting ready to talk about what Jesus did. And can I tell you, it's because of what Christ did that we have what we have and that we enjoy what we enjoy. And now he's gonna tell them what they enjoy because of who Christ is and what he did. He said, verse 19, now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. He's painting a picture of the blessings that they enjoy as believers. And an element of that is that they are now part of this great building called the church. I can imagine that the Apostle Paul, as a Jew, as he begins to write, and he begins to think about a building, he would reflect back on the temple, that great and ornate edifice that stood in Jerusalem, that they tell us as you approach the city, uh, the very gleam of its roof and uh, the very ornateness of it would attract your attention. It was like a, a diamond sparkling in the midst of that setting of that city. And Paul would reflect on that great building called the temple. Uh, the readers, these uh, believers in Ephesus as Gentiles, uh, they would not reflect on the temple for that meant nothing to them, but they would recall the temple of Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. That great temple that stood in the city of Ephesus, historians tell us that it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It stood on, the, uh, on a precipice in the city, on, on an elevated site, and all the city could see that, that temple and all of its marble columns and its ornate beauty. And they would re be reminded when they thought of a building of the temple of the goddess of Diana. But you see, though Paul as a Jew would reflect on the temple, and the Ephesians as Gentiles would recall the temple of Diana, as believers, they recognized they were part of something better. They're a part of the building, the church of the living God. You see, this reminds us, while, while being a part of the body reminds us of our distinction, we're not just a part of an organization, we're a part of an organism. This reminds us of our diversity. These buildings behind me, 
They stand and we look at them and we call them, we refer to them as a building in the singular. But if you were to go through any of these buildings, you would find that there are multiple parts to the building. There are materials that are variety or, or various, uh, a variety of them that are used in the construction. There are things such as steel and concrete that are used for strength. There are things such as wood, which is used for framing. You would find screws and nails and bolts and nuts. You would find wiring made of copper and you would find pipes made of copper and perhaps made of some sort of plastic. You would find materials of all shapes and sorts and size and colors, some that are visible to the naked eye, some that are hidden away down deep inside, some that are more ornate than others, some that are more valuable monetarily speaking than others, but every one of them is a part of the building. Can I say as we look around the church, we are marked by diversity. There's rich and poor and old and young and male and female and Jew and Gentile. There's people from every background and every uh, mark of life, every walk of life, every ethnic background. But could I tell you, God has fitly joined us together into one beautiful body and we are the church of the living God. Now, could I just remind you that the temple that Paul would reflect upon was destroyed in 70 AD as Titus and the Romans marched into Jerusalem. The temple of Diana that would be recalled to the mind of the Ephesians was destroyed by a flood but was rebuilt and then destroyed by arson and by 401 AD only the ruins of that temple remained. Oh, but the church of God is built on an eternal foundation it's made up according to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 5 of living stones. It's a building that will stand forever. Not only are we a body that will never die, but we're a building that will never decay. Rod is not going to creep in. Age is not going to affect us. For a thousand years from now, the church will stand stronger than ever before. The church is a building that will not decay. The church is a body that will not die. Could I just say Paul gives us another analogy in Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter number six, here is another analogy that the, the apostle Paul is going to make. He says in Ephesians chapter six in verse number 10, finally, my brethren, I think Paul must have been a Baptist. He says finally, but he's not really at the end. That's just to give you hope that there's maybe an end coming. He says finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation which is the sword of the, and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus 
He wants to remind them, not only are you a part of the body, not only are you a part of a building, but I want to remind you that you're a part of a battalion. You are called to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. You're in the army now, Mr. Jones. You, you have now been inducted. You have been brought in. And by the way, you weren't drafted, but you volunteered. When you signed up to take Jesus, you signed up to be a soldier of the cross. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Oh no, I, I, if I would, I, I must fight if I would win. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Can I tell you, Paul is going to later on challenge Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, we live in such a soft age. I, I like to read what Paul said. Paul talks about all of his scourgings that he endured. By the way, he endured a few things. I mean, after all, he was stripped, he was striped, he was shackled, he was uh, uh, stoned, he was uh, shipwrecked, he was even snake bit. And then when he comes to the end, he lists all of these things that he goes through. And he says, but this light affliction, which is but for a moment. Man, if he, uh, that makes me doubt whether he was a real independent Baptist or not. If he'd have been an independent Baptist, he'd have been moaning and groaning all the way to glory about all the trials and tribulations that he had to endure. But can I tell you, he looked at it and he said, this is just a light affliction. Can I tell you, if that's a light affliction, we haven't even seen anything yet. You say, oh, I'm shivering in a tent. Oh, it's cold outside. Oh, it's uncomfortable in my car. May I say to you, we haven't even begun to fight yet. But we're called to be a battalion. We're in the army of the Lord. Can I just remind you that the enemy is strong? Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The enemy is strong. And by the way, engagement is sure. Everybody, every person who is a part of the church of the living God is gonna be engaged in conflict with the enemy. It may be on the domestic front, at your home and with your family. It may be on the social front, at the job or in the community. It may be on the financial uh, front, in the bank account or in your pocketbook. It may be on the physical front with your health uh, or, or some sickness. It may be on the mental front with stress and turmoil and conflict. But you mark it down, it is just a matter of time until you're engaged in conflict with the enemy. The enemy's strong. Engagement is sure, but the equipment is sufficient. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand. Did you ever notice that there's seven pieces of equipment? A perfect number. By the way, the devil's a perfect enemy. He's a deceiver, so we gird our loins about with truth. He's a defier, so we put on the breastplate of righteousness. He's a despoiler, so we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's a denier, so we take up the shield of faith. He's a doubter, so we put on the helmet of salvation. He's a deluder, so we pick up the sword of the spirit. He's a devourer, so we pray all the time. And God has a piece of armor to defeat every attack that Satan may have. The equipment is sufficient. We can just go to the armory and pick it up. Its size will fit you. 
And by the way, here's the good news. Yes, the enemy is strong and engagement is sure, but the equipment is sufficient and the end is settled. Because I read in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is then our duty. We are called to be soldiers of the cross, but I've got news for you. Yes, we're a body that will never die. We're a building that will never decay, but we also are a battalion that will never be defeated. We are on the winning side. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. Cheer up, you saints of God. There's nothing to worry about, nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. Remember that Jesus never fails, so why not trust him and shout? You'll be sorry you worried at all tomorrow morning. Well, we're a body that will never die. That's our distinction. We're a living entity. We're a building that will never decay. That reminds us of our diversity, many made into one. We're a battalion that will never be defeated. That reminds us of our duty. We're called to be soldiers of the cross. Oh, but Paul gives us one more analogy. One more analogy, Ephesians chapter number five. Verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. If we turn over to the book of Revelation, chapter number 19, John says this. John says in verse number six, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Oh, could I say, not only are we a body, not only are we a building, not only are we a battalion, but tonight we're a bride. We're a bride that is awaiting the appearance of our bridegroom. And just any day he may show up. Just any day the wedding march may strike up. Just any day we may be heading out of here to lay aside this robe of flesh and put on eternal garments and prepare ourselves for the marriage of the Lamb. In the Old Testament, we see New Testament truth hidden in types and shadows. And although the church was a mystery to preceding dispensations, it was not unknown to God. And as we go through the Old Testament and we consider some brides, we can see very clearly the foreshadowing of the church as the bride of Christ. I wish I had time tonight. I would talk about Eve. And in Eve, we see the formation of the church from Adam's journey down into a deep death-like sleep, the opening up of his side, and from him was brought forth that which was to be his beloved. Oh, can't you see the foreshadowing of Christ who himself on the cross went down into the valley of death? His side was pierced and opened up and forthwith came that which would be the church, the bride of Christ, 
those who would walk with him and fellowship with him and stand with him and call him their beloved. In Rebecca, we see the faith of the church. I wish we had time to go to Genesis chapter number 24 and Rebecca was there and all of a sudden an unexpected visitor showed up one day and an unexpected visitor showed up with unexpected news. The news was this, there is a father who is extending an invitation to be united with his only son. Wilt thou go with this man? She had never seen a picture of him. She hadn't checked out his Facebook uh, status. She didn't know who he was. She didn't know what he looked like. But all she had was some tokens that an unnamed servant had. And she had the word of the servant. And she looked at it and she said, if that's just a token that you brought to me, I think that's good enough. I'll go with him. And she by faith set out on a journey to meet someone she had never met with whom she was already in love. Can you imagine that journey as they went? All along the way, I can imagine every day she got up. She didn't know how long it was going to take. She had never been there before. By the way, we don't know how long it's going to take to get to heaven. We've never been there before. But we got somebody who's going along the journey with us. Every morning she'd get up. She'd say as they started out the journey. She, she didn't understand why they went certain ways. Another way might have looked easier, but she had to trust her God. By the way, we don't know which way. We, we look another way. We say that'd be the easiest way. The Holy Spirit says, no, this is the way we need to go. As they journeyed together, that she'd say to him every day, she'd say, now, tell me a little bit more, more about this guy by the name of Isaac. Could you tell me what he looks like? Could you tell me what he likes? Could you tell me what he dislikes? Could you tell me how his voice sounds? And every day, though she did not know him, though she had never met him, she fell more in love with him. And can I say, on our journey to heaven, I've never met Jesus Christ in the flesh. I've never laid my eyes upon him. But oh, I've talked to the Holy Spirit a whole lot. He's told me a lot about him. I've read his love letters that he sent along. And can I tell you, every day that passes, I fall more deeply in love with him. And I know that every day, I'm one day closer home. And maybe today, the trumpet will sound and we'll meet, not at his house and not at my house, but in between, we'll meet and be united forever and forever. Well, in Eve, we see the formation of the church. In Rebecca, we see the faith of the church. But I like this story about this woman by the name of Asenath. She is the bride of Joseph. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 41, verse number 45, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zathnath Paneah. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. You know, I think about her. And I think about this woman who now enjoys an exalted place. I mean, she's the wife of the number two man in the land. She's not there because of what she's done. She just enjoys it because of who she's connected with. Can I tell you, I don't enjoy anything because of what I've done. Oh, but I got hooked up with the right one a long time ago. And because of who he is, then I enjoy all the blessings and the benefits. Her exalted place, it's not about her, it's all about him. But I'm glad that she can ride on his coattails, aren't you? And it's not about me, it's about Jesus Christ, but I'm glad I can ride on his coattails. Not only her exalted place, but think about her erased past. I mean, she doesn't sound like she's very good. 
The Bible says this. She's the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of home. Sounds like she comes from a bad heritage. But that's all God says. He just erased everything out of the book. He said, you're gonna get a new start now. You're just the wife of Joseph. That's all anybody needs to know. Oh, I wanna tell you a long time ago, over 50 years ago, one day I had a bad past. I had a sin nature. I was crooked from the beginning. But I fell on my knees one day and cried out to God and God said, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna erase your past. All anybody needs to know is you're part of the bride of Christ. I'm just gonna take care of everything. I'm gonna erase it all. I'm gonna blot it out. It'll never be brought up against you again. I'm gonna give you a new start. I'm gonna give you a new name. I'm gonna give you a new nature and I'm gonna prepare for you a new place to go live. What a wonderful thing it is to be a part of the bride of Christ. Oh yeah, we're a body that will never die. That's our distinction. We're a building that will never decay. That reminds us of our diversity. We're a battalion that will never be defeated. That reminds us of our duty. But tonight we're a bride that will never be disappointed. Oh, that reminds us of our delight. Oh, we may disappoint him, but he will never disappoint us. Can I say tonight, he's altogether lovely. What a thrill to anticipate the coming hour when we shall share a home with Christ beyond the hills and the horizons. When we'll share a mansion beyond the mist and the mountains. When we'll share a possession beyond the plains and the planets. When we'll enter a society beyond the stars and the sky. When we'll enjoy a dominion beyond the darkness and death. Oh, heaven for me, heaven for me. Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. All of its beauty and wonders I'm longing to see, but Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Oh, could I just say tonight, when I took Christ, I got everything. I had nothing. I brought nothing to him. Oh, but he gave me everything. Christ loved the church. How can I do any less than love the church and give myself to it? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.